Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. This is VSIN, the sports betting network. Friday to everyone out there in the continental 48 states. Last two hours, it's been sort of awkward because you're sort of in that period in which the Eastern time zone, the Central time zone, they've all been Friday for the entirety of the show. Meanwhile, those of us out here on the West Coast, it was Thursday before. Now it is Friday in all the continental 48 states. If you're out there in Hawaii, my apologies, you have to wait two more hours. But with that said, it means that today, officially in all the continental 48 states, is the day in which we're going to be seeing Game 3 of the World Series. So we're going to be hitting a little bit upon this. We've got some college football that's going to be coming up today as well, including the fact that it's Nevada Day out here in the lovely state of Nevada. If you're wondering what the heck it was, unless you live in this great state, you have no idea what it is. So, I mean, don't feel bad about that, but we're going to be diving into a little bit of college football a little bit later, taking a look at Nevada versus UNLV from a betting perspective. And then I'm going to be giving you guys couple bets I like for today. Going to be taking a look at a couple bets I like for the weekend in general. So going to get you guys all caught up on that. But first things first, I mentioned it at the top. We do have game three of the World Series. It is the Houston Astros on the road facing off against the Atlanta Braves. You're finding the Braves as a very slight favorite in a lot of spots. You're going to be finding them as bad as about a minus 114. If you're really getting a good line with the Atlanta Braves, you're going to be finding as low as a minus 106. Right now at DraftKings, they've got the Astros and the Braves at minus 110 both ways. And the total, it has settled in at an 8.5. Here at Circa, where I'm doing this broadcast, it did briefly flash to 8 and has went back to 8.5. You're finding the juice on the under anywhere between about a minus 115 to a minus 120 with the over anywhere between even minus 105. And I do like it. I do a New York Post play of the day every single day when it comes to baseball season and have no worry when baseball is over I'll be getting a nice needed I guess you could call probably like a week week and a half break and then college basketball is back so we're going to be doing a whole heck of a lot of that so I will be keeping you guys entertained with that but you take a look at this World Series and I do think that things are going to be a little bit higher scoring moving forward because we did wind up seeing the Atlanta Braves lose Charlie Martin due to injury and I feel like that like that's really reflected when it comes to the series price. Right now with the Astros at DraftKings, you're finding them on the series price more around about a minus 145-ish. The take back on the Braves is a plus 125, and you'd expect it to be a little bit more of a move if you wound up having both of these teams fully healthy because for the Atlanta Braves to be able to split in Houston, I felt like was very big, but now instead of having Charlie Morton on the roster, they had to replace him with Tucker Davidson, which... You know about Tucker Davidson. He's made a couple starts this year with the Atlanta Braves. A good up-and-coming arm. He's not Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton is someone that has won four decisive games in the the playoffs throughout his career. No other player 
in the history of baseball has more than two wins in a winner-take-all scenario. So no doubt you wind up losing that when it comes to Charlie Morton being down. So that is very tough. You just take a look at this series in general. And I do think that it is one that is going to be going at minimum six games. I don't think that we're going to be seeing any sort of a gentleman sweep here either way. I've been of the mindset just throughout this entire series that it is going to be in the end the Houston Astros being able to get it done, but I actually do like the Atlanta Braves in this spot as well. So you take a look at it, and I do think that there's value with the Astros on the series price, but I would not be taking a look at taking the Houston Astros here at more around a minus 145, minus 140 in some other spots. I'd be taking a look after this game because you take a look at Luis Garcia, the man that is going to be going to the mound for the Houston Astros. He is not at his best on the road. This is someone that between the regular season and the postseason, has right around a 473 road ERA. He's given up right around 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings. His blocks per nine are hiked up very much so as compared to at home as well. And at home, when he's pitching in Houston, he has been just so much better. North of two points lower on his ERA. We wound up seeing that start that he wound up having against the Boston Red Sox. That was absolutely tremendous. And that was at home. When he wound up getting roughed up against the Boston Red Sox, Guess what? That was in Fenway. So I do think that that is very important. And it's a big reason why I do think that taking a look at this World Series from a game-by-game perspective is going to lend itself a lot of value. Because while I don't see a lot of value with the Houston Astros in this spot, you've got to figure that in Game 4, it's a little bit of a mystery right now. Do you wind up going with Framber Valdez on a little bit of shorter rest, perhaps being able to bring him back for a Game 7? Do you wind up going with someone like a Jake Odorizzi, maybe Christian Avier, Zach Greinke is certainly going to be in the mix. So got a lot of different options for the Houston Astros I do think that they'll probably in the end go with Granky, which I pretty much just label that as a bullpen game plus because you've got to think that you're going to get nothing more than like two or three innings out of the corpse of Zach Granky, which he's just old at this point you can tell that he's not what he once was but it is something that needs to be factored in with that and then for the Atlanta Braves they might wind up having to bullpen this game this game four and game five after they wind up having Ian Anderson go to the mound. And Ian Anderson is someone that throughout his postseason career has actually been very good. If you take a look at it, he's got right around a buck 61, buck 62 career postseason ERA. And in seven starts that he's made, the Atlanta Braves have been able to win six of them. It's a big reason why I like them in this spot. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, I do think that runs are going to be very plentiful because I do think that both of these teams are going to be playing a little bit differently with regards to the bullpen because I do think that we're probably going to be seeing at least one bullpen game in this series out of the Houston Astros for the Atlanta Braves. They might need to go back-to-back, and that means that you're going to be relying upon Tyler Mazek to wind up giving you probably multiple innings in a game. A.J. Minter is someone that actually wound up opening up in NLCS game last year. I think that a lot of people forget it. I think that he actually went three scoreless innings in that one as well. We wound up seeing him in game one of the World Series when Charlie Morton wound up going down. Being very courageous, by the way. Two and two-thirds innings scoreless. He was able to do a nice job of being able to, for lack of a better term, hold down the fort for the Atlanta Braves. So he no doubt is going to be a key, but then you have to save some of these other arms. And then you take a look at who else the Atlanta Braves wind up having. Jesse Chavez, he's getting a little bit long in the tooth. You take a look at someone like, hey, Kyle Wright, someone who had not pitched since the All-Star break at the big league level. I'd been a minor league, just middling sort of player. 
something that you don't want necessarily any part of it. Mentioned it at the top, I do think that there's going to be a lot of runs in this series. And you just take a look at both of these offenses. When it comes to Houston Astros, this is a bunch of which they strike out in fewer than 20% of their at-bats. That is by far the best mark out there in all of baseball. They were the only team during the regular season to strike out on fewer than 20% of their at-bats. You've got a quadrant of guys that wound up hitting at least a 270, 270 with at least 26 home runs. You've got Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, all in that fold. And then you're able to throw in there so many guys like a Yoli Gurriel, like a Michael Brantley, that they're both hitting above a 300 here in the postseason. They both have been able to do an absolutely tremendous job for this team as well. You take a look at Alex Bregman. He wanted missing much of the regular season. He has been back, and he has been at full force for this team as well. So this is a Houston Astros bunch in which you've got a lot of guys that are up there at the plate, and they are going to be able to provide a lot. But from a game-by-game perspective as well, you've got to shade them down a little bit more when it comes to these games in Atlanta because now you have to factor in the fact that the Houston Astros are not going to have a designated hitter. Jordan Alvarez, who had been DAHing quite a bit, now he's going to have to play the field. Got to think that Jose Siri is going to be the odd man out for the Houston Astros. He's actually been very good the last two or so months of the season for the team up-and-coming prospect and has been able to do some nice things. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, in right around 90% of their game so far this year, they're used to having the pitcher be able to hit. So it is one of these things in which that's not necessarily a massive factor because both of these teams... They play under the same elements, but just that familiarity, just that little bit of home field advantage, I do think that it is important. And when it comes to just being able to handicap regular season versus postseason MLB games in general, I do think that it's a little bit different. I know that Scott, who typically is on this show, he is a big advocate of first fives. And during the regular season, you can expect a starter like a Luis Garcia, a starter like an Ian Anderson. They're going to be able to give you five complete innings. In the postseason, that's not necessarily the case. We have seen it with so many of these managers making, shall we say, questionable decisions to pull their pitchers a little bit early. I am someone that winds up coming from the great state of Wisconsin. I tell you right now, I was not happy when Craig Council wound up pulling Freddie Peralta after giving up no runs in four innings and having thrown 57 pitches. I recognize that the situation was meant on second and third, but I mean, still, you would never, ever see a manager do that in the regular season, actually. With Craig Council, he might, but that was up until this year. But still, just one of these things of which you're going to see some wonkiness when it comes to when these teams wind up going to the bullpen. You're going to see the quick hook on a lot of these teams. And I think that that's something that you need to factor in because typically when you wind up handicapping a first five, you don't have to worry about the bullpens. You have to worry about the bullpens a whole heck of a lot more when it comes to the postseason. And I do feel like home field advantage is big as well. You're going to see every single one of those seats just jam-packed in Atlanta tonight. The fans, they are going to be out in droves. The Atlanta baseball fans in general are absolutely terrific. You know that they're going to do everything that they can to give their team a little bit of pep in their step. You're not going to necessarily get that on like a Thursday getaway game at like 2 p.m. with the first pitch. You're going to have like kids there on a field trip that... They're just looking to go to the hot dog stand and wind up getting their favorite bratwurst or something like that. It is just like, well, you don't necessarily have the same electricity for that sort of a Thursday getaway game as you're going to have for game three of the World Series. That's something that I feel like needs to be taken into a little bit of account as well. And I mentioned it with the managers. Both of these guys, I do feel like are a little bit more traditional, but they might be willing to go to the tent pen a little bit more and 
the pinch hitting spots becomes a little bit bigger as well. We wound up seeing that, that in the National League Championship Series. You wound up seeing Ian Anderson, starter that is going to be going for tonight. He was pulled a little bit earlier than you typically think, but that was actually a very good move by Brian Sicker because he winds up having coming in here Adrianza to be able to pinch it. He gets a double from there. Eddie Rosario hits that home run. The Atlanta Braves win that game, and because they won that game, they are here in the World Series. So a lot to be able to take a look at. I'm going to be giving you guys my official New York Post play in the final segment here of the look at. But coming up next, we've got a little bit more to touch upon when it comes to football because we have got some college football games that are going to be coming up on Friday. Going to be hitting on those next right here on the look at right here on VSIM. These sports network. It is Greg Pearson joining you tonight. I am in for Scott, who getting some much-needed R&R. He always does a great job with this show. And if you like what you're hearing tonight, hey, the Greg Peterson experience, it's on the same time. It's on the same channel. Every If you're out there on the East Coast Saturday and Sunday, if you're out here on the West Coast, begins every Friday and Saturday and lingers into your Saturday and Sunday. So you're in from bundle of fun there. Wound up talking in the first segment about the World Series, and I'll be giving you guys my New York Post pick in the final segment of the show, so be sure to be locked in for that, and also be sure to be locked in for some great college football action, as we actually have three games that are going to be going down in college football. Many of you guys are going to be like, Greg, what are you talking about? We've got Navy Tulsa, and we've got UNLV versus Nevada, but what a lot of people wind up forgetting is that Every Friday, there just seems to be some completely random FCS game. Tonight, it's going to be Princeton versus Cornell. And I tell you right now, it is one of these cases in which some of you guys might snicker and you might be like, well, it's Princeton versus Cornell. But there's actually a lot of money to be made in some of these games. I still recall the game that we wound up seeing last week in which you wound up having right around a $5 underdog wind up hitting. Columbia was like an 18-point underdog against Dartmouth. They wind up coming in and they do the reverse cover. They wind up winning by kind of 19-0. to zero. So if you want to take that on the money line, you make good money. And it's a philosophy of mine. It doesn't matter if you're betting on the World Series. It doesn't matter if you're betting on the Super Bowl or if you're betting on Columbia versus Dartmouth football. Whatever makes you money, don't feel bad about it. Just do everything humanly imagined to be able to help yourself out with your bankroll. I'm right now working on the VEASAN College Basketball Betting Guide. That is one in which I'm going to be taking a look at Duke. I'm going to be taking a look at North Carolina, Baylor, Gonzaga, all these big teams. But at the same time, I'm giving an equal amount of love to New Mexico State, who I think is going to be winning the WAC. Heck, you want to be just fading the absolute crud out of Chicago State because... They wound up with regards to points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis being in the bottom two of the 347 teams that wound up lacing them up last year. So there's a lot of money to be made by fading slash betting on some of these very good slash very bad FCS schools. It's just all about being able to know your spots, whatever you wind up handicapping very well. Don't feel bashful about it. If it's a big game, if it's a small game, if it's a middle game, all that matters is that you are cashing tickets being able to progress your bankroll, doing so in a responsible manner. That is all that matters. With that said, let's dive into it now that I've given you 
my dissertation on making money for the day. But you take a look at Navy versus Tulsa. Got a little bit of an intriguing spot here. Tulsa, you're right now finding pretty much across the board as an 11-point favorite. I know that on some look-at line slash some opens they want of getting down to as much as a 9.5-point favorite. This has rebounded to 11. you got a total of this game of 47. And as we know, pretty much with all the military institutes, they wind up playing a little bit of, shall we say, a interesting style, one that takes college football back to the dark ages a little bit. But for Navy, it's just not working this year. You can tell that this is a bunch of, they've gotten down a little bit too early in their games. And they're just not efficient on the ground in general. When you don't have much of a passing game, you're not as efficient on the ground as you typically are. It's a little bit of a recipe for disaster in Navy. Typically, a team that has a very solid defense has not necessarily been the case this year. You take a look at what Tulsa's been able to do, and they've got an aerial attack in which it's featured quite a few in interceptions. Davis Brin, he has got 10 touchdowns so far this year, nearly 2,000 yards. He's also got 10 interceptions. A gentleman that winds up coming in having thrown multiple interceptions in three out of his last five games, so... That certainly has not been good. But you also take a look at the competition that he's been playing against. One of those games was against Ohio State, a Houston team that I think is sneaky good. Memphis is a game in which a team wound up winning as well. And Memphis is a bunch in which they're a little bit irky-jerky, no question about it, but they're a pretty respectable school. So I do take a look at Tulsa. I do think that they've got a little bit of a leg up in this one now. The big thing that you want to caution yourself with, which is why I do like this total over, is that Tulsa's been one of the lesser rush defenses out there in all of college football. They're allowing a little bit over 142 yards, so it's not necessarily been going the world's greatest for them, but they do have a little bit of a carry the mail sort of running back in Shamari Brooks, who has been able to do a very solid job for this bunch. You take a look at him. He's coming off a back-to-back 100-yard performances. He had that just absolutely ghastly bad. Eight carries for negative two yards rush total against Houston, so I literally had more rushing yards than he did against Houston, but uh, if you take that one out of the fold, he's ran for 125 plus yards in each out of his three other games, which I don't know how you wind up having that sort of line, but you sort of do have that going on. But I take a look at Tulsa. I think that they're going to give up quite a few rushing yards. And I do think that this is a Navy offense that is going to be able to do a little bit of something. And Navy coming off of what I would consider to be their best performance of the year. They were able to knock off Central Florida earlier in the year, but the fact that they were able to give the spirited effort that they wound up giving against Cincinnati, a team that is currently ranked number two nationally, I think that that is a little bit of a confidence booster for them. But at the same time, I do fear that there might be a little bit of a letdown spot. Good news is, if you're someone that you like Navy in this game, well, when it comes to military institutes, they're typically ones in which you don't have as many flat spots. They don't necessarily get as our good friend over here at the Vegas Hats and Information Network, Wes Reynolds would call it. A little bit more fat and happy. These are guys that, well, they're disciplined to say the least. But at the same time, I do think that it's just a little bit more of a situation. I think that this is a Navy team in which they're not going to be able to stop a lot on defense. So I take a look at the over in this spot. I do take a look at Tulsa being able to have some good value. I mentioned it earlier in the hour. It is now Nevada Day out here in the great state of Nevada. For those of you guys that are wondering, one that is that it's just a day to celebrate Nevada. I think it's like the anniversary of this state i am someone that i am from the state of wisconsin i wound up moving out here four and a half years ago and i have no idea what the origins of nevada day is all i know is that children wind up getting the day off of school and that banks are closed so that's about the extent of what i know about nevada day but with that said with nevada day what else i know is that it's bringing us a great college football matchup nevada the wolfpack are going to be playing ocu and lv 
UNLV, they're finding themselves as a pretty hefty underdog in this spot of anywhere between 20 and 20 and a half points. This is a total that opened up in a lot of spots uh, right around about a 59 and a half. It has settled in between 58 and 58 and a half. And with UNLV, they've got as many wins as the gentleman that is behind the desk right now. I am not a college football team, so that would be a big giant zero. But you take a look at UNLV, and they've been able to provide, at the very least, a little bit of a speed bump. Now, the loss to Eastern Washington on paper looks really, really bad. Eastern Washington is actually one of the better FCS schools out there, so that was not necessarily too bad. And this is a bunch of which they have been close. They have lost by eight points or fewer in each of their last four games. One of those was against a, at the time, ranked Fresno State team. They wind up going on the road against UT San Antonio, who they're now ranked. They were able to do a solid job there against Utah State, close but no cigar, and then against San Jose State. They were able to give a nice effort as well. And then you take a look at Nevada, a team that, no question, they certainly have been able to do a good job of being able to rack up some points. They have scored at least 32 points in each other last four games ever since that loss that they wound up taking to Kansas State. So a little bit of a high-powered offense. I do like the quarterback that you've got with the Wolfpack. 20 touchdowns and four interceptions for Carson Strong. He has been very stout for Mr. Strong. He's been able to do a nice job just week in and week out. He had that six-touchdown game against New Mexico State, but... Those numbers are jacked up a little bit because, well, New Mexico State, they're a bottom 20 team out there in college football, if not a bottom 10 team. So that is something that it does make things look a little bit better than what they are for Nevada. And then you take a look at UNLV. They certainly have been getting gash on the ground. They're giving up right around 160 rush yards per game. So that is a little bit of a bugaboo for this team. But I do think that they're going to be able to do just enough with their own ground game of being able to hold up at the point of attack. You're just not able to get anything out of this UNLV passing game. But Charles Williams has been able to do a nice job of being able to carry the mail right around five yards per carry. So he's been able to do a nice job there. Has ran for at least 94 yards in now three out of the last four weeks. Actually wound up having a three-touchdown game against Utah State. Ran wild over 200 yards in that performance. So I do take a look at this UNLV team, and I do think that they're going to be able to hold up here. And we have been finding a lot of value when it comes to college football trends in general as well. I've been mentioning it with regards to all sports. When it comes to the major pro sports that we are seeing, whether that be the NFL, NBA, or NHL, all of them have an under rate of at least 55% this season. And you're seeing it in college football as well. Obviously, you've got a little bit of a case in which it's not as demonstrative, but still 54.5% of college football games have been going under the total. I have a feeling that this could be a spot in which UNLV, because they don't necessarily have a lot of a pass game, that they're going to be keeping it relatively lower scoring as well. I could see sort of like a, we'll call it about more like a 28 to 14 style game, which it's a little bit more sloppy. It's a little bit more of a drag them out style game. And we're noticing it in college football in general. Favorites have not necessarily been doing so well. The underdog has been hitting right around 51 and percent of the time. So I do think that there's a little bit of value here with this underdog. Don't necessarily like Navy just because of what we are seeing with Tulsa with regards to them being able to do a solid job of being able to move the ball. And even with their interception woes, I think that they're going to be just fine. Navy, I don't think he's going to be able to force turnover. So I look at the favorite Tulsa. And I look at the underdog UNLV for the betting board of this Friday college football slate. So we've got a little bit of something that's going to be going on there. Obviously, it's a little bit of an appetizer to the entree of what we're going to be seeing on Saturday. And what we're going to be seeing on Sunday is going to be terrific as well. We wound up seeing a great Thursday night football game. Let's get you guys caught up on what we're going to be seeing in some of these big NFL games on Sunday next. Right here on the look at on Beeson, the Sports Betting Network.
championship is coming up. It is November 5th through the 7th and VSIN will provide coverage from the main event all weekend long including live on location updates for all the action. Visit vcin.com slash SBNC for more information and to learn how you can enter for a chance to test your skills and win cash including the million dollar top prize. That is vsin.com slash SBNC we're back here in lovely Las Vegas. More specifically, the Circa Sportsbook and Resort for the look at it is myself, Greg Peterson. And shout out to all the guys doing terrific work behind the scenes. Taylor, my producer, Jason, Nick, we were just having a great conversation. Tried and true New England Patriots fan. He has not jumped off just because Tom Brady is no longer there. He is still supporting the Mac Attack and Company. I do love that. It's giving me shade for being a Packers fan. And, well... When you wind up having from birth Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers as your lone two quarterbacks, you do have a little bit of a charm lifestyle. So I can't disagree with them there. And then Oliver doing a great job of keeping things held down as well. So a big th shout out to all of you guys and big shout out to everything that we are seeing in the NFL as well. I just mentioned the fact that I am a Packers fan. I was very happy with what we wound up seeing on Thursday I backed them with my heart, and I backed the Green Bay Packers with my bank account, and, well, they were able to get through there, not the entire bank account. That would be a little bit bad, but a nice one-unit wager as the Packers were able to get there as a six-and-a-half-point underdog. They wind up being able to win outright, and it certainly is going to be causing a little bit of shuffling when it comes to hierarchy out there in the NFC. I was a little bit surprised because when it comes to odds to be able to win the Super Bowl, when it comes to odds to be able to win the NFC, we are finding that the Arizona Cardinals, when it comes to odds to be able to win the division, they're actually still the favorite, but they're a little bit of a shorter shot to be able to, or they're a little bit higher odds, I should say, to be able to win the Super Bowl and to win the NFC, which I think is just a little bit intriguing because typically you'd think because you've got the Rams, they're currently number two just behind the Arizona Cardinals because they are plus money to be able to take the division. Meanwhile, the Arizona Cardinals, you have to lay a little bit of price for them. You'd be a little bit surprised with that, in my opinion, because with the Arizona Cardinals, their odds to be able to win the Super Bowl, you've got them a little bit shorter than those of the of the Rams. So, I mean, it's just one of these situations which I think it's going to be very intriguing in general to see what we wind up getting in the NFC because now we've got two marquee games that they do wind up coming to the forefront for this weekend. I think that the big one that we've got to be taking a look at is can the Buccaneers get the job done here in this spot as you take a look at it? And with the Buccaneers, they are a bunch in which with Tom Brady at the helm, they have been absolutely magnificent. But now they've got a little bit of a tougher test this week. They should be rightfully a large favorite to be able to win the division. But they're going to need to get this one over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or over the New Orleans Saints. With the Saints, you're finding them as a home underdog of anywhere between four and five points. A lot of four and a halfs out there. With your total, you're finding it anywhere between about a 50 thing right now out there at DraftKings, more around a 50 and a half. And when it comes to Tom Brady, he certainly has been able to do a very solid job in general this season. The Buccaneers defense has been a little bit down from what we expected, but it seems like it's starting to pick up a little bit of steam again. You had a couple injuries along that front seven, which did wind up causing 
for a little bit of turbulence, to say the least, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now that they've been able to get things righted a little bit more, they've made a couple acquisitions. Obviously, Richard Sherman being able to join the fold, even though it certainly has not been necessarily going the world's greatest for him, as he's been all sorts of banged up. That certainly has been a little bit of something, but guys like Vita Vea, Nadamik and Sue and company, I think that they're going to be able to get a good pass rush on Jameis Winston. But I do think that there is a little bit of sneaky value here with the Saints because when it comes to trying to run the ball, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they've been able to get a little bit of something out of Leonard Fournette thus far. He's been averaging right around four and a half yards per carry. So that has been solid. And they have been looking to him more and more. You can tell that towards the beginning part of the season, the Buccaneers, they really didn't trust the ball with Fournette along with pretty much any of their running backs for that case. But I do think that now they have been able to look to him a little bit more, especially with the fact that they were without Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski last week. Now, looks like Brown is probably not going to be able to play in this game with Rob Gronkowski. It seems like he should be good to go, but you take a look at the Saints team, and I think that a lot of people are sleeping on them. They wind up having that tremendous week one win over the Green Bay Packers, and then from there, they became sort of milk toast in that you really didn't get anything great. You didn't get anything terrible, but this is just a Saints team that we've got to be taking a look at in a different light now than we wound up doing a few years ago because now with the New Orleans Saints, this has become a little bit more of a defense-oriented team. You've got a bunch of guys on that front seven like a Marcus Davenport, like a Demario Davis, that do an absolutely tremendous job of both shutting down the run and the pass. I do like this defense. And then when it comes to the Saints, they are still, no question, without... Just a few of their guys in general. Michael Thomas has been out since the beginning of the year. Just imagine what this team is going to be when he winds up getting back in there. And with the Saints, they've by and large been able to do their job. It just is one of those cases in which it hasn't been sexy, but what has been very good for Jameis Winston, the fact that he just hasn't turned the ball over in general. We remember his last stop with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a few years ago, Mr. 30-30 Club. 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. He certainly wasn't able to do a good job of protecting the ball. He's got one interception the last four weeks. He certainly has been taken under the wing of this entire coaching staff with Sean Payton and company doing a great job with him. And he's become just so much more wise with his passes. He has become a little bit more of a checkdown guy. But, I mean, you take a look at what he what has been required of him in the offense and what he's done. And it's been pretty much picture perfect. So, you do like that. Obviously, Alvin Kamara gives this team just little bit of everything. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how Mark Ingram winds up re-acclimating himself with the Saints as well. As we know, in the offseason, he wanted signing with the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans, they're just a dumpster fire and a half. Their lone win is over the Jacksonville Jaguars, who on U.S. soil, they have not won in over 400 days. They were able to get a nice win about a week and a half ago over the pond, but here in the United States, they have not been able to win any games. But you take a look at Alvin Kamara. He certainly has been utilizing just a wide variety of ways for this team so far this year. He has been held in check a little bit more, and that win against the Seattle Seahawks wasn't really able to get a whole lot going on the ground. I think that that's going to be able to reverse itself a little bit in this spot. You take a look at the weapons that the Saints have been utilizing as well with having just the injuries that they have, and I am a little bit surprised that Adam Troutman hasn't seen a little bit more of the field. We wound up seeing him be able to do a little bit more the last two weeks against Washington football team along the Seattle Seahawks. I do think that Jameis Winston is going to be looking his way a little bit more, especially with Thomas still being out of the fold. But I do take a look at this spot. I don't know if the Saints are going to be able to win this game outright, but as we know, prior to the postseason last year, the Saints were able to provide a whole lot of resistance 
to the Buccaneers, especially that opening win that they were able to get in which they just completely trounced the Buccaneers. And it just seems like it's this way every single year with Tom Brady-led teams. There always seems to be one or two befuddling losses, and Tom Brady-led teams always seem to hit their peak more towards December, January, when the chips are all on the line. So I do think that this could be a good spot here for the New Orleans Saints. And then another marquee game that's going to be coming to the forefront that'll tell us a little bit more about the NFC. That would be the Cowboys and the Vikings. With the Dallas Cowboys, it is still a little bit up in the air as whether or not Dak Prescott is going to be able to play. He's been a limited participant in practice. It sounds like Dak wants to do everything humanly possible to be able to take the field. Meanwhile, it seems like it might be a little bit out of his hands as whether or not he plays. And this has caused a little bit of a shift in the line. The Dallas Cowboys, when it looked like Dak was probably going to be playing in this game, they opened up the favorite. It seems as though the money is funneling in as if he is not because the Minnesota Vikings now find themselves in a lot of spots, a two and a half point favorite. And if you're finding a two and a half, it's probably with juice. I'm seeing a stray three out there as well out here in Las Vegas. But you take a look at this spot and if Dak Prescott winds up not playing, it certainly is going to be a big blow to the Dallas Cowboys. And I would be taking a look at the Vikings. So this is one of these games in which you just need to find out a little bit more information on Dak Prescott. If you, like me, are just sort of not knowing whether or not he's going to play or not, it's best to just stay away for the time being until you just get a little bit more information. I think that what we wind up seeing coming out on this Friday is going to be very important to it because if Dak winds up playing, I would certainly be taking a look at the Dallas Cowboys. That would be a nice little plus money money line that I'd be taking a look at. But, I mean, once again, the betting line and the way that the money has been moving seems to indicate that there is a lot of question with them because from all that I've been hearing, Dak Prescott is actually moving around quite well. It's just a matter of are the Cowboys going to be a little bit cautious because as we know, the Cowboys, they are right now running away with the NFC East. You take a look at the Giants, Washington football team, the Philadelphia Eagles. They're not even providing as much as a speed bump on route for them to be able to win the division. And you also just take a look at the Minnesota Vikings in general. They had a little bit of a bad start to the year, and that's putting it as politely as humanly possible. But Dalvin Cook, who wanted missing a few weeks, he is back. He is in full force, 140 yards and a touchdown in that road win over the Carolina Panthers. So that, no question, has the arrow pointing upward with the Minnesota Vikings. So I do think that that is a important little bit of a moniker as well. I think that the Vikings are going to be a pesky team moving forward. And what else is pesky is trying to just figure out where to put your money at. Going to give you guys my New York Post play of the day for the World Series and just take a look at what I like for the weekend in general. That is coming up on the other side right here on the look at on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. football season your best sports betting season ever start your vcin free trial today to get full access to our sports betting experts including 24 7 video streaming daily best bets emails betting splits with the money and ticket percentages on every game plus full access to vcin.com data and analysis you get everything vcin has to offer for just 22 dollars a month so sign up now vcin.com slash subscribe it is the final segment for myself, Greg Peterson, here on The Look At. If you're listening to this the first time around, well, 
For the next three hours, you're going to be hearing me once again. If you're listening to this more around 6.45 a.m. Eastern, that would be 3.45 a.m. Pacific. Well, Follow the Money is going to be coming your way with Mitch and Polly within the next few minutes. They are going to have you held down for the next three hours. They're going to be just providing all that they do because they do an absolutely terrific job. Very honored to be a little bit of a lead into them today and very honored that we've got Game 3 of the World Series as well. I'm always happy to give out my New York Post play of the day. I do this for baseball. I'm college basketball season, less than two weeks away. I will be back firing in all cylinders for that as well, so have no fear there. I'm going to get a nice like week off between the World Series and the and college basketball starting up so got a little bit of that going on but when it comes to what I'm looking at in baseball today I do like the Atlanta Braves on the money line you're going to be finding them as a very slight favorite but what I want up giving up for the New York Post is the over on the total of eight and a half I take a look at this spot and I do think that you're going to have Luis Garcia just wind up getting shelled you take a look at him I was mentioning it a little bit earlier in the hour the fact that his ERA is more than two points higher on the road than it is at home. He certainly has had his struggles. Hey, take a look at the Houston Astros in general. Among the 10 teams I wanted making the postseason, they are eighth with regards to road ERA. That is a 560, and that includes the teams that they want to make in the one-game wild card and everything like that. So it certainly has not been going great for them whenever they've wound up hitting the road. And with regards to both of these teams, they both have high-powered offenses. We saw it in game one with the Atlanta Braves. Every single one of the starters wound up being able to get a hit. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Houston Astros, and they have just been able to put up a runs of plenty. Here in the month of October, in 13 out of their 15 games, they've scored at least five runs, and they've been going up against some good pitchers. We can laugh all we want about the effort that the Chicago White Sox wound up giving in the divisional series, but still, you've got some very capable pitchers on that pitching staff. They wound up going through the Boston Red Sox, who, well, they certainly wound up having... A couple guys not necessarily hold up their end of the bargain, but the Astros just time and time again have been able to generate a bunch of runs. So I do think that we're going to get a little bit of a high-scoring game. So I'm taking a look at the over, especially when you factor in the fact that both of these managers might be a little bit more tepid to use their bullpens because you're probably looking at some sort of a bullpen game for both of these teams in Game 4. It sounds like we might wind up getting Zach Greinke as a starter in Game 4 for the Houston Astros. We have no earthly idea who either team is going to be going to after tonight's Game 3. So that is something that I'm going to be certainly keeping my eye on. But at the same time, you got to figure that it is going to be all hands on deck in Game 4 if it is Zach Greinke because he hasn't necessarily been able to go long. you got to figure that for the Atlanta Braves, it's some form of bullpen game for them because they wind up having Charlie Morton go out the fold. You probably want to be having Max Freed go on full rest as well. And then obviously Ian Anderson, he's pitching tonight. If he winds up starting back-to-back games, he's going to be pulling what Wade Miley wound up doing in 2018. It was, as Miley Cyrus says, it's a party in the USA for him. It was a party in the postseason in which he was starting back-to-back games, something that we hadn't seen in like an eon and a half, which I think is just so hilarious. But we're certainly not going to be seeing that happening. So I think that you're going to get a lot of runs. You just got a bunch of measures on both sides. Now, keep in mind, you are not going to have the designated hitter, unlike the Game 1 and Game 2 contest that we wound up seeing. I don't think it's going to affect these teams too much. We see it in the postseason. These managers are much more willing to go to the bullpen if there winds up being a scoring spot as well. So you're probably not going to see either Ian Anderson or Luis Garcia wind up getting more than maybe two at-bats for one of these guys. 
If you wind up getting a third at bat for either of these guys, I will be very shocked. And Ian Anderson has been able to do a solid job this postseason, but in his three starts this postseason, three, four, and five innings, not lending a lot of length in. That's really been a theme in general of this postseason. Managers going to the bullpen very early with the Atlanta Braves. They certainly have been able to do a solid job with the bullpen, but you have to question if A.J. Minter pitching two and two-thirds innings. Tyler Mazek is heavy use here in the postseason. If that's going to wind up wearing on them a little bit, Luke Jackson was able to have a nice performance in game one, but we saw him struggle in the championship series against the L.A. Dodgers as well. He had two really bad performances. It's up to ERA all season long, but you figured that there was going to be a little bit of regression, and that certainly wound up starting in that series against the L.A. Dodgers. So you've got a lot at play there. I'm going to be taking a look at the Atlanta Braves on the money line. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 128-ish personally with them. And with the total, I would have been willing to take it at a 9. So I certainly see a nice edge there. Wad of giving out for the New York Post, the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Atlanta Braves with that. And when it comes to college football, we unfortunately do not have a line on Princeton versus Cornell. I tell you right now, I don't know much about FCS football, but there has been money to be made out there. So for those of you guys wondering, we should probably wind up get a line in the next few hours. But when it comes to Navy versus Tulsa on tonight's college football slate, I'm going to be taking a look at Tulsa, and I am going to be taking a look at this total over. you got a pair of teams that they don't necessarily do a good job of being able to shut down the run, and you've got a Tulsa team that I think that they're going to catch Navy after they wind up having, in my opinion, their best effort of the year against Cincinnati. Close, but no cigar being able to pull out the win there. Meanwhile, for Tulsa, they do a solid job of being able to move the ball on the ground, and this is just a Navy defense that it's not what you'd expect from a Navy defense. So looking at the over and Tulsa, and it is Nevada Day out here in this great state. I am taking a look at UNLV being able to catch 20 and a half points at a lot of spots. They have been able to lose each other last four games, which that's not necessarily the world's greatest term, but they've been close in each other last four games. Go on the road. They wind up losing to UTSA, the San Antonio Roadrunners, by seven points. They wind up giving a good effort against Fresno State. So this is a team that they've been close in a lot of their games. I think that they're going to continue to play very solidly. And you typically just see it with a lot of these interstate rivalries as well, just in general. They tend to be relatively close. UNLV, they certainly don't have much of an aerial attack, but I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job on the ground. And for Nevada, I think that they're going to be able to put up some points as well, but I take a look at it and I'm going to be leaning towards it under as well. And then when it comes to what we're going to be getting this weekend in college football, I know it's not necessarily the, and I air quotes here, sharp play to make, but you take a look at a battle between a ranked team going to an unranked team and the unranked team being a favorite. That'd be Wisconsin versus Iowa. And I just cannot back Wisconsin. My sister is actually a graduate of the team in which I'm fading, by the way. She wound up going to Wisconsin-Madison, and, well, I can't get there on this team. Now, the total of 36 to 36 and a half is just absolutely insane. You just do not find college football totals this low unless if you're looking at the Ivy League and or Northern Illinois from a few years back where they were tremendous on defense and they were tremendously awful on offense, but you take a look at it and for Iowa, I think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time moving the ball, but this is also a Wisconsin defense that they aren't necessarily what they have been in the past either. You take a look at Graham Mertz and he has been not good to say the least. Now, he was able to perform a little bit better in the game against Purdue last week, but I would be hard-pressed to say that the Wisconsin win was as a result of Graham Mertz and his I guess you could call it okay play. Meanwhile, you just take a look at both of these ground games. I think that they're going to both be able to put up a lot of yards on the ground. If I'm looking at anything on this total, and I don't necessarily have the world's greatest feel on this one, but 
I'd be taking a look at the over just because you're going to get so many plays. You're going to get so many possessions that it just makes it hard to be able to take an under in this spot. Though I certainly do see where the bookmakers are coming from in setting this low of total line. Iowa has scored 30 plus points in three out of the last five weeks. I think that we might be over magnifying the fact that they wound up having that bad Purdue loss two weeks ago. But when it comes to this Wisconsin team as well, been solid on defense, not so solid on offense. I just look at Graham Mertz with his two touchdowns to seven interceptions, and it just makes it really a tough buy. A tough buy. And you take a look at Iowa in general. I think that Tyler Goodson is going to need to come to the forefront a little bit for this team. He has been held below 100 yards in each of the last four weeks. And I do think that Iowa and this front seven and this offensive line is going to be able to do a good job against this Wisconsin front seven. So I take a look at it. I think that it's going to be a slobber knocker of a game. And I do like Iowa to be able to win this game. And I don't even just like the three and a half points. This is a spot in which I do like the money line. And I do think that this is going to be a good spot because we have been seeing a lot of money lines be able to come through in college football and in college football in general. What I think is going to be intriguing to find this week is if we are going to see a little bit of a return of home underdogs. You may recall in the first three weeks of the college football season, they were hitting at a clip of right around 61%. Ever since then, it's been relatively even, Steven. So we have certainly seen things come back to the pack there. And it is going to be one of these weeks in which I do feel like you are lacking a little bit when it comes to some of the ranked games. But I do think that the Ole Miss versus Auburn game is certainly going to be an intriguing one as well. We've got a whole lot of great action that's going to be going down on this Friday and this weekend in general. It all is going to be started with Follow the Money at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. And that is right here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. This is...